Chapter Fifteen of the Glory of the Conquered. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The Glory of the Conquered by Susan Glasspool. Chapter Fifteen. The Verdict. It was Monday morning now the hours of that night had been hours of torture sleep had come once or twice but sleep meant only the surrender of his mind to the horrors which preyed upon it he could in some measure exert a mastery when awake but no man is master of his dreams his dreams put before him all those things his thoughts fought away in his dreams there was a fearful thing pursuing him reaching out for him gaining upon him with each step or sometimes it stalked beside him not retreating not advancing but waiting standing there beside him with grim inexorable smile it was after waking from such dreams that he breathed his prayer that this night pass no matter what be ahead he asked that this night pass away after he was up he found himself able to go on in much the usual way when ernestine came in and asked about his head he told her it was better when she wanted to know about his eyes he said they were not any better yet but that that was something which would simply have to run its course she begged him not to go over to the university but he told her it was especially important to go this morning he added that he might not be there very long he ate his usual breakfast a truth that would shake the foundations of his life might be waiting for him just ahead and yet he could make his usual laughing plea for a second cup of coffee undoubtedly it was so with many men beneath a mail of conventions and pleasantries they lived through their fears and sorrows alone something clutched at his heart as he kissed ernestine good-bye and there was a momentary temptation could he face it alone if he had to face it to have her with him but he put that aside not alone for her sake but because he felt that after all there were things through which one must pass alone but after he had reached the door he came back and kissed her again what if he were to go down into a place too deep for his voice to reach her there was some solace assurance in the naturalness of things about him everything else was just the same it did not seem that it could be part of natural law then for his own life to be entirely overturned and the world was so beautiful it was a buoyant spring morning there was assurance in the song of the birds in the perfume of flowers and trees the air upon his face was soft and reassuring this seemed far away from the hideous phantoms of the night why the world did not feel like tragedy this morning he had a lecture at eight o'clock and made up his mind he would give it in the night he had thought of going first of all to the laboratory the truth would be waiting for him there but it was his business to give the lecture and he could not be sure of giving it if he went to the laboratory first a man had no right to let his own affairs interfere with his work oh yes by all means he would give the lecture in spite of his prayer that the uncertainty should end he reached out for another hour of holding it off he knew as the hour advanced that he had never done better work in the lecture room he pinned his mind to it with a rigidity 
which prompted him to put the subject as though it were the most vital thing in all the world. He threw the whole force of his will to filling his mind with the things of which he spoke, that he might not yield so much as an inch to the things which waited just outside. He talked until the last minute. In fact, he went so much over his time that another class was waiting at the door. He clung to those last moments with the desperation of the drowning man to the splintered piece of board. After it was over, just as he was yielding the desk to the man who followed him, one of his students approached him with a question, and the thankfulness, the appeal almost, in the smile with which he received him, mystified the student until he stammered out his question, bewilderedly. He could wait no longer now. The room belonged to others. The next period was his usual hour in the laboratory. It was an hour which, on Monday morning, he could, if he wished, spend alone. His temples were beating, thundering. His hands were so cold that they seemed things apart from him. But his mouth, how parched it was, was set very hard, and his steps, though slow, were firm. In the outer laboratory, Professor Hastings stopped him, remonstrating against his working when he was having trouble with his eyes. He assured him, elaborately, that he was taking care of them, that probably he would not be in there long. He opened the door of his laboratory and passed in. He closed it behind him, and stood there, leaning against it. He was all alone now. There was nothing in the room but himself and the truth which was waiting for him. He put down his book upon the table. He walked over and sat down before the culture oven. He must get this over with. He was getting sick. He could not stand much more. With firm, quick hand he wrenched open the doors. He put his hand upon what he knew to be the tube. He pulled it out, turned around to the light, and held it up between him and the window. For one moment he looked away. How parched his mouth was! And then, a mighty will turning his eyes upon it, in one long gaze he read the plain, unmistakable, unalterable truth. He had never seen a better culture. Science would perhaps commit itself no further than to say his eyes had become inoculated with the most virulent germ known to pathology. But out beyond the efforts which would be made to save him, he read, written large, the truth. He was going blind. End of chapter 15